Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of A Chronicles of Mister. I'm Mister Pierre, and I am joined by the beachy educator, um, the one and only Miss Garth. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. I enjoy talking to educators, and I'm hoping uh, with this conversation, other educators who are in the field, thinking about coming into the field, or if they're transitioning to another part, will be able to to glean some gems and hopefully be better educators for our kiddos. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Me too. (laughs) So if we could start off with, um, how did you um, come into the field? Because I know there are not a lot of us in the field. How did you find your way? So funny enough, I actually did not start knowing that I wanted to be an educator. I know there's some who think, oh, you know, I've known since I was young. So I was more looking into, you know, the creative side of things, like being a wedding planner, interior designer. Okay. And my family (laughs) was not about that. (laughs) They wanted something (laughs) a little bit more stable. And then I decided, okay, well, let me try the medical field. And in college, I started doing physical therapy. And then halfway through, I realized it just wasn't for me. And my dad actually suggested education because my parents are from Jamaica. Before they came to the U.S., he was a teacher in Jamaica for a few years. And he was like, you know, you're good around kids. I see you like kind of just being a natural teacher. Mm-hmm. And he actually suggested it to me. And halfway through college, I was like, oh, let me let me see where that takes me. And I, I just I just never looked back. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. That is turning out to be in the conversations that I'm having with folks, um, a common thread that they, we start out because similarly. I was the same way, was going into medicine, was mm-hmm. at a research, um, doing a lot of research at a university. And it was actually my boss who was like, well, you seem to glow whenever you got to teach the graduate students or the undergrads, you might be in the wrong profession. And so I subbed in, here I am 17 years later. Um, how long has it been for you to, to since you've been in the classroom? So this has been my 10th year. This Excellent. classroom is my 10th year teaching. Excellent. So flowers to you. Excellent job for, for being <laughs> uh, tech because I'm sure you know, you've seen folks come and go in those 10 years of Absolutely. really zealous, really hyped about it. And then <laughs> yowzers yeah. <laughs> after a year or two, max, what I've seen is usually around year three or four is when people realize if they're really cut out for it. Or right, right, if right, I yeah, were to I ask you, if I were to ask you, um, what's kept you in the profession? So I would say initially I, I liked the idea of kind of being able to do what I would like to do creatively. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, you go in, you create your own classroom environment, you kind of set your own rules. And in a sense, you're just, I find that teaching, everybody says, if you can teach, you can do just about anything. And that whole idea of kind of being kind of like an entrepreneur, almost like you're running a business essentially. Um, so yep, I like that aspect. Yep. I like that aspect of it. And then of course, you know, seeing kids be able to learn and like watch that transpire right in front of you was always something that I enjoyed seeing and just seeing kids like build their confidence. But over the years, I realized I've kind of grown a passion for helping other educators. So now I'm more of like a mentor to new teachers and, and kind of coaching them through things. And it's the same, the same idea, right? Instead of kids, it's adults and seeing them grow and just 
feel that they are able to do something independently is just like, it's amazing to me. Excellent. So I'm, <laughs> I'm similar in the same vein as you of love the kiddos, but I'm also really hyped and stoked about adults. And part of the genesis of this podcast is reaching as many educators as possible who are thinking about coming into the fields, who get into the field and just helping them see dropping gems or suggestions that they can pick up that'll allow them to hopefully get to year 10, hopefully get to year 15, hopefully get to year 20 and continue loving that. And if they choose to transition out of the classroom, still have some sort of connection with the folks who are, who are still doing the work. So yeah, applauding uh, <laughs> you for that. What, what if, because it's been 10 years and I'm sure you thinking back over your, your years of education, we have seen so much happen just in the last five years. Right. What's been the thing that if you were to able to go back and sort of tell your younger self, like, hey, here's this one thing that I'd really suggest that you really hone in on um, and sort of have a firm grasp on um, first, what would be that thing that you would tell your younger self? I would say, number one, just learn how to be flexible hmm. because things are constantly changing. Yeah. Um, from you know year to year, I taught different grade levels. So I had to just become comfortable as at first I was very uncomfortable. I wanted to stay in my little like third grade bubble, hmm. my second grade bubble. And then the next year they were like, oh, you're going to teach this. And so uh, just learning how to kind of roll with things and not be afraid to ask for help. Ooh. I think a lot of, yeah, <laughs> I yeah. think a lot of educators feel the need to have to know the right thing yeah. just out of fear of not, you know, being just afraid of feeling like people know that they don't know what they're doing yeah. and that it's okay to be new at something. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the education world doesn't allow for that sometimes, or makes it, makes it appear as if you have to be perfect almost immediately. And that's just not the case. And so you don't have to be a perfectionist and it's okay to be flexible because mm. you are going to have to be. Folks, if, if you're not watching the YouTube channel, if you're catching this on uh, just audio, there are two Kool-Aid smiles on our faces because that right there of you don't need to be perfect um, and you won't be perfect. None of us are perfect. It's something I know I tell my kiddos, but it's not something that I didn't internalize until later on. I mean, right. knowing that being able to ask for help, being able to be the novice at something is okay. Um, and be in like searching out for a mentor, someone who can help you along the way, can give suggestions. That's what this podcast is about. But also like to have, when did that, when did that click for you of like, oh snap, I don't need to know everything. It's okay to not know. Let me, let me go ask for help. Let me go search for some help. I would say maybe year, like probably about year three or four. Yeah. Uh, my first year, I had really struggled, honestly. I had, when I went to college, I was taking courses to be a special education teacher and really just to be like a push in, like for inclusion. Yeah. And so I had never had an entire class of students. I always had small group. And then I took, you know, the first job that came available and it was a gen ed position. And so that was my first time having an entire class of students. And I did not know what I was doing. And I, I felt very much 
like intimidated and I was just, yeah. I just struggled. And so my admin at that time let me know that it was okay to ask for help. Mm. But that was one school, one particular administration. So when I went to a different school and um, later on, things are different. They run things differently. And so I was just like, you know what? It's okay. I can ask for help and no one's going to make me feel bad about it. And if they do, oh, well, at least I'm still learning and yep. there's nothing wrong with that. So yeah, I definitely say around year three or four when I moved to a different city, to an entirely different district. And they Absolutely. did things completely different. <laughs> Which is the case. And like, and I'm sure you've experienced this where one group of kiddos that X, Y, Z works really well for them. You try that same X, Y, Z on another group of kiddos. It's like, it's failing. And so right. being able, like you said, to be flexible, to be able to ask for help um, is awesome. But then on the, the other side of that is like, you got to then have an admin that's going to invest in you and knowing that, all right. I know that this teacher is going to be great. They're not there yet. They're going to go from good to great. And so in that in-between time, I got to give them time to grow um, right. is also super important too. I Sweet. love that. That word what, to grow. <laughs> what, um, what, because you mentioned third grade, what group of kiddos do you teach now? So I teach fifth grade ELA. And I think that has been my favorite <laughs> so far. Um, I've stuck with fourth and fifth for the last few years. Okay. Okay. Did Was that something that you always wanted to do or did you come to, as you said, grow into that particular group of kiddos? I grew into those that, that group of kiddos just because that was my that year when I was very apprehensive about moving up mm -hmm. and had only done second, third grade. Um, really enjoyed third grade, felt comfortable. You know, they're sweet. They yeah. love you. Yeah. <laughs> and that whole, that whole idea. And I was at a K-5 at the time. And so when my principal said, hey, we want you to do fifth grade, I was like, but those are the big kids. Like, I'm 5'1". Like, those kids are bigger than me. Yeah. And they were, you know, assured me that it would be okay. And I'm glad that I did it and I just pushed forward because even though I was, I was nervous. I was like, mm -hmm. how, how are they going to respect me? I, I had no idea, like, how I would do it. But yeah. I had a good team. And my personality, I felt, matched that age group really well yeah. and had i not tried it out i never would have known and so that fourth and fifth grade they're great awesome. <laughs> before middle school <laughs> awesome awesome i teach middle school and i recognize that my lane is very much middle school as much as folks may shudder like oh middle school kiddos mr right. Pierre, bless your heart i'm like if you teach the littles nah bless your heart for you who <laughs> teaches for, uh, for example fifth grade I'm like, you're teaching all the content. Like for me as a middle school teacher, right. I'm, I'm math. So that's what I focus on, even though it's six through eight. But I'm like, y'all are doing, y'all, <laughs> you deserve your flowers because you're in front of the kiddos the whole day. Yeah, they may go to specials. They may do this, that, and that, but they're coming back to you. They're coming back to you. They're coming back to you. Right. Um, and so, yeah, props to anyone who is a elementary school kiddo, like who teaches elementary school kiddos. I, I salute you. You deserve your flowers and your props for that. Um, knowing that it does take a lot of work, knowing that it is not easy, knowing that there are those ups and downs, what keeps you in this work? I would say just over the years, learning how to be very organized mm. has really helped, um, because of all the changes and things like that. I, I do notice that a lot of things can continue to transfer over. 
mm-hmm. and really taking in those like professional developments that are really helpful and that can transfer over from year to year, grade to grade. Um, that has really helped me and holding on to things that are necessary, but also being willing to let go of some of the resources that might be outdated, so on and so forth. So I would definitely say being organized <laughs> helps. And um, yeah, for sure. <laughs> again, again, I've got the Kool-Aid smile because I'm like, yo, there are teachers who are holding on to things from the early 90s. And I'm like, yo, why do you still have that? Let that right. go. You got to update right. that. It might be like bits and pieces of it that's that's still transferable. But if you're still holding on to stuff, heck, from the early 2000s, it, <laughs> COVID it really, yeah, it's, it's it's not applicable anymore. No. Like COVID really sh- shook things up. Um, yeah. And let me ask you, like, what was that like for you? Because I know for myself, it was like, whoa, um, obviously, but being right. in the classroom, particularly with the littles, what was that like for you? So I think it was, we just kind of went in not knowing how it would actually work. Mm-hmm. And feeling very, like I said, apprehensive, you know, teachers, we might be a little apprehensive to change sometimes. And so we were just kind of worried about the logistics, like, how is this really going to look, especially with at that time I was teaching fourth grade. So you're talking about incoming nine year olds during that time where we were at home. Um, the district that I was teaching at was nice enough to provide a lot of resources. And then that was from March, you know, to the summer. And then when August came around and we were, you know, we had to go back into the classroom, it came down to how do they clean? How do we keep things, you know, sanitized? And yeah. there were so many rules and regulations that we had to keep up with. So it was, it was quite stressful. Um, hmm. And at that time I had one class in person. We are departmentalized. So I had more than one class at that time. Yeah. So the morning I had students in person. And then the afternoon I had students online. And then whenever whenever we had a quarantine, which happened quite a bit, unfortunately, those students that were in person had to learn how to become an online student. And I mean, we just honestly, at that time, we all just tried our very best. In the long run, we all decided that, hey, I think it might be best if Miss Garth just does all of the online students because we were all struggling doing both. And thankfully, mm-hmm. our administration listened to us. And I'd stayed completely online, but I still had to go into work. So I was by myself in a room, in my classroom, with just students on, on the computer all day. So it was, it was quite a difference, you mm-hmm. know, but we made it through. I ended up having the largest number of students who stayed home mm-hmm. that year. A lot of students chose to come back. But I guess they were like, okay, well, we're still successful. So thankfully, I was able to kind of get them through as best as I could. No, COVID COVID really shook things up. And I think for a lot of parents, um, it finally, even if it was briefly, made them realize like, oh, there, there's a lot that goes into teaching and not just, I know the content and that's sufficient. Right. Um, and even aside from the technology issues, like even if kiddos are able to be on Zoom and there's no hiccups with the interwebs, but there's so much of, does the kiddo feel safe? Does the kiddo feel like they're being seen? Whether that's right. even just your name and not literally being seen on the screen. Um, right. So that 
you as the educator are able to connect with them so that they know like, oh, this is a safe space for you to be able to learn. Right. Um, and I, I, I think prior to that, a lot of parents were not aware of like, oh, there's more to this than just, oh, I know math. I could teach math to a third grader. It's like, can you though? Can right. You? <laughs> you think you can, but can you? It was humbling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's in, in listening to you, it's, it's nice to hear that you had admin, um, who was supporting you because I, I had plenty of conversation where teachers, part of the reason why they left is, and I'm sure it wasn't just admin. I'm sure above admin, there were folks who were putting pressure on them, which then it trickled down right. um, and translated that way. But what's it been like for you um, in terms of your admin supporting you and feeding into you and investing in you? I would definitely say I've been blessed with hmm. some pretty good administration. I've also been at a school where the admin team, the communication was lacking. And hmm. I think that was when it really affected me the most yeah. physically, emotionally. I was very stressed out that year, yeah. not realizing how necessary proper communication was to me just because I, I kind of took it for granted. I always had it. It wasn't a big right. deal right. until I didn't have it anymore. Mm -hmm. And that made a world of difference. The school culture went down. Nobody was on the same page. And that can really make or break a school. Yeah. And so having a good admin team that work together well, communicate with their teachers, trust their teachers and staff to do their jobs, that's like priceless honestly <laughs> what what did that look like or what did that feel like or what did that yeah i think for folks who may not know it's like they don't know what they don't know and they don't know that other environments exist mm -hmm. um and of course without being specific about that other one but what does it look like or feel like for that admin that is making you feel like, all right, this is really feeding my soul. That's allowing me to be able to continue to do this work at a, a high level. I would definitely say it looks like number one support hmm. that you, you feel open to go to them to express, you know, this might work, this might not work. And you're not afraid to share your ideas mm -hmm. and you know that it's more than likely will be taken into consider consideration um, just that respect level there. I would also say when it comes to just how they oversee you and your teaching, I know for me and probably for many others, just observations have always been something that just scared me. I mean, 10 years in and I was like, still like, everything has to be prepared, you know, like, I don't think that ever really goes away unless you're just that person. Yeah. Um, but feeling comfortable to have somebody in the room and knowing that you can do your thing and it's okay. And they will give you feedback and that positive feedback. I think every, every school should always work on that, whether you're doing a great job or not, that's always something that you can work on and grow with mm -hmm. is giving that positive feedback because I know when it comes to observations and things like that, we're, we're looking for things to work on. Yeah. But also know that there's things that you are doing well and having that acknowledged through your admin mm. is great. <laughs> it's awesome. a good feeling. Awesome. Awesome. So what I, what I heard you say is admin, just folks walking into your classroom doesn't call cause your heart rate to like spike. It's right. like, all right, they're in the room, but it's not sort of like to gotcha. It's more right. like, all right, let's just see you see what you're doing. 
um, in order to be able to give you some feedback to do whatever it is that you're working on, one, two, or three things that you're working on to do that better. Yeah. Is that, all right, and they also cool. help give um, opportunities. I think that's also something that if you're looking to grow in certain areas as a teacher, if you're looking to get into other positions, mm-hmm. knowing that your admin is there to support you to grow and open to giving you opportunities is also something that I think has been helpful for me because my admin has supported me in many, you know, many times in my career mm-hmm. and them providing opportunities that I wasn't really aware of just because uh, they're in that world and that space. So that's good too. <laughs> so again, what I'm hearing is you had admin who was advocating for you when you were in the room. Yes. Uh, excellent. So yeah, to anyone who's listening to like, to know that you have folks who are speaking about you positively when you are not present um, and then bringing that to you of saying, Hey, you know, Ms. Garth, you could do this, this, or this, here's this, this opportunity. Would you be interested in it? Or in those conversations that you had with them before, like, Oh, this would be really good for Dana. Like I know she would like this and then right. be able to, to jump on it. Sweet. Sweet. Knowing, knowing that, if there are 10 priorities, then really nothing is a priority. What is the thing that you look that you're like, all right, at the beginning of the year or throughout the year, this is the hill that I'm going to die on that. This is something that I'm, when you walk into Miss Garth's classroom, like you're going to see this, whether it's a good day, a bad day, a sunny day, a rainy day, this is always going to be happening. <laughs> uh, I would say students talking mm-hmm. about the content. And having okay. students actively engage, student engagement is is like my thing, and not just for the sense of like, oh, I know my that class is fun, right? It's mm-hmm. not just about my class being fun. It, they feel like <laughs> sometimes they forget that they're learning <laughs> because ah. it's just so embedded. Yeah, uh, and I've heard that at the end of the year, like, oh, your class was just so much fun, and I'm like, but you you know that you learned a lot, <laughs> and then they realize that at the end. Yeah. But um, but students actively participating in whatever it is that we're doing and talking about it amongst themselves. So more, it's less of me talking really, and a lot of opportunities for the students to talk. Now, how do you, how do you get that to happen? Because I'm sure there's a first or second year teacher who's like, look, I'm asking the questions, but no <laughs> one's raising their hands. I'm circulating. I'm asking my kiddos like, who thinks this and it's not happening? How, how do you do it, Miss Garth? Like, how do you get <laughs> your kiddos to to want to talk, to feel like, all right, I have these things to share and I, I can go about doing that? I would definitely say scaffolding helps when it comes to asking certain questions. Um, being in upper elementary, and I'm sure for you being in middle school, we focus a lot on like the language of tests and test questions and, and things that they're going to see later on and be assessed in that way, but really scaffolding on what that question means. And then instead of, I, I don't do a lot of hand raising personally. Um, a lot of it is, I'm going to give you think time to think about it. We made sure we understood the question as a class. You're going to think about that question. We've narrowed for ELA, we've narrowed down the paragraph that you'll find it in. And then you're going to talk about it with your partner or with your table team and those those structures, right, for them to discuss a very in an organized way. And then after they've discussed it amongst themselves, right, they've 
thought they've thought about it. They talked about it. Okay, now we can have an open discussion. So it's very much of a, it's a process, um, and it involves everybody at the same time, and it doesn't zone in on just one kid. So that student response, you know, multiple at the same time is great. <laughs> awesome, awesome. And for a new teacher who's hearing this, I'm sure the veteran teachers are like, "Oh, bet Ms. Garth is just doing a think pair share." Got it. So hearing what you just said of like, one, give everyone the same amount of time to think about it. Mm-hmm. How you're choosing the kiddos is like, hey, kiddos, you don't need to raise your hand. You've set up some routine, whether it be, I, I like to use the popsicle sticks. I also use other ways of like randomly, there's electronic ways where you can put the kiddos name on a random wheel, but give the kiddos an opportunity to talk with their teammates, hear what other people are saying, be able to, is this what I heard correctly, Ms. Garth? All right, great. Have it repeated back to you. And then that share out of like, all right, now I'm just choosing random folks. Sometimes it may look like it's random, but it's like, all right, I've heard so-and-so say right. such and such, and I'm going to come to them specifically, but I, yeah. Oh, all right, Dana, you go ahead and share. Um, right. But that's what I'm hearing. And so for new teachers, know that you have to set that up. There's got to be a routine of like, start off with something super light. What's your favorite sandwich? What's your favorite bowl of cereal? Whatever be able to share that out so that that becomes a routine where it doesn't feel like a gotcha, like why, why is she calling me? Why is he calling on me? Oh, um, right. um, but yeah, that, that's dope. That's dope. No, like listening to you, I, I hope whoever's hearing this podcast recognizes that it all sounds great. It all sounds easy, but as a veteran, I know we have those days where it's just like, look, everything I'm throwing is, is missing. Like it's air ball or it's a whiff or it's a strikeout. Um, and I know in the beginning years I felt really like, Oh snap, I'm an awful teacher. What sort of advice would you give to that first, second or third year teacher who feels like everything that they're doing is just striking out? I would say instead of trying everything, right? Because Mm -hmm. everybody has advice. You might be hearing do this, do this, do that. I mean, even in this podcast, we're talking about things for shares So there are a lot of strategies out there. There are a lot of approaches out there, but I would focus on one at a time and really try it out and not feel like you have to do everything at once. And, you know, once you feel comfortable with one strategy, okay, now we can add this in my pocket and then, and then so on and so forth. And then eventually you'll have this toolbox, but that doesn't happen overnight and it doesn't happen your first year. It's definitely a profession that you hone in on those skills over time. So that would be my biggest suggestion because I felt that way in the beginning. I don't know how to do any of this. Yeah. And you're a master of none and when you're trying it all. And, you know, once once you zone in on one thing, that's probably the best. 100%. 100%. So, folks, if you are listening and you are a new teacher or you're feeling some type of way, recognizing that if everything's a priority, nothing's a priority – Mm -hmm. honing on one thing what is that one thing that you want to do really well and just have someone who you trust come in and just observe you and see whether or not you're doing that one thing well and again you're not trying to do that one thing and then add on something else it's like no do that one thing consistently is it the think pair share is it the am i circulating the classroom enough or am i just sort of stuck in one spot Am I actively looking around the classroom to make sure that the kiddos know that I physically see them and also, too, that I see you and I'm randomly being able to get through all the kids. It's not just I'm always calling Dana, always calling on Dana. Um, Whatever that thing is, 
have someone help you out. And hopefully it's someone that you feel comfortable enough with, who's again, not there to be like, oh, got you. But to be like, oh yeah, you did that well. Here's how you can tweak it to do it even better. Yeah. So yeah, that's great advice. Great advice. Knowing that you are, or like myself, I would assume that as an educator, you are, you're reading or listening to Audible or any other audio books. What book have you read or you're reading that you're like, yo, this is a really good book. Personally, it fed my soul or professionally, it helped me to do my job a little bit better. Would you recommend to folks? Um, I have a book. Can I get it? <laughs> it's behind me. <laughs> so, this was actually gifted. It is Mindful Learning. It's a professional book. Um, Mindfulness-based techniques for educators and students and parents. Excellent. And this book, yeah, it's really helpful. It's by Dr. Craig Past, I think his name is, and Dr. Okay. Richard Chambers. Um, mindfulness has been something that I have kind of honed in on a little bit more, especially mm-hmm. during COVID and, you know, just in my personal life, I felt, okay, I think I need to be a little bit more mindful about what I do day to day because it's so easy just to kind of go on autopilot. And when it comes to our students, there are just little things that you can do and think about to decrease their stress, increase their resilience, enhance creativity. There's things that you could do and be mindful about. Yeah. And, um, and all of that helps the kids, but not only the kids, but the parents in that. <laughs> yeah. <Me too. laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. So absolutely. That's absolutely. one book that I'm, I've been gifted in, in getting through this summer. Do you mind holding that book up one more time? Yeah. Excellent. Mindful learning, mindful learning. Sweet. And if I were to ask you, um, and this is selfishly on my part, because I love music and I love getting new music. If you were to create your own playlist, it could be five artists, it could be five songs, it could be five albums, five genres, whatever it is. But mm-hmm. if this were the Miss Garth playlist, what would be that at least five that you put on it, the top five, the first five? So I'm kind of a, an R&B, like lo-fi, like that whole vibe. I played oh. in my classroom, I do that whole thing. So these songs nice. are kind of mostly in that in that area. Got so it. Sade, like a yes. tattoo, love me some Sade. Yes. Uh, I'm a huge Daniel Caesar fan. He's Ooh. great. Okay. So Get You. He has that song with, um, what's that girl's name? She sings Telepatia. I'm forgetting mm-hmm. her name. <laughs> then there's oh, Masego, who I almost went to his concert and missed it, unfortunately. Mystery Lady. Steve Lacey. This one's kind of more of like, the kids taught me this song. Same, same. <laughs> I wish I knew. I was like, I didn't know, kiddos. You got to put me on. <laughs> right? So that one's good. Bad habit. And then this one's kind of popping back up. And it really okay. was like a staple. And it's it's like a punk rock song. But Paramore, Misery Business. Love them. Miss Garth? Yes. Miss Garth. Yes. Her, yes. 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 I'm loving this playlist. Yes. For <laughs> so sure, Paramore. Awesome. 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 <laughs> Folks, there were a lot of gems dropped on this episode, and I am certain that we'll have uh, Miss Garth back on the podcast again. But look, <laughs> that playlist in and of itself, Paramore and Steve Lacey, I felt like you've got right? two anchors. That, that's dope right there. Uh, <laughs> I'm hoping that you recognize on this episode of the Chronicles of Mister that there were a couple of things that you could walk away with. I think the number one thing is don't be afraid to ask for help. 
go to someone who you trust, someone you know who's not going to be critical, but someone who's going to give you some criticism as to what you can do to do better and knowing that that's going to be okay. And if you are somewhere where that is not possible, just know that there's a community now with uh, the interwebs. You got folks who are so, so willing to be able to give uh, feedback or give some advice and suggestions on how you can get better at this profession. And I'm hoping that this conversation, you were able to glean a couple of, a couple of things that you could do um, to make the classroom experience enjoyable for you as well as for your kiddos. And so I am Mr. Pierre, she's Miss Garth, and this has been another episode of the Chronicle of Mr. We're out. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.